Welcome to Talking Events, the industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Today's podcast is being recorded from the London headquarters of event app provider Guidebook. A big thank you to the Guidebook team for allowing us to set up the Talking Events studio at their offices. You can get in touch with the podcast using its dedicated Twitter feed at Talking Events. You can also watch a video recording of each podcast via the Event Industry News YouTube channel. On to today's episode. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about creating engaging events. What is engagement? Why do we even need to discuss it? Joining Talking Events today is Julius Solaris, founder of eventmanagerblog.com. Julius, good uh, good day to you, sir. Thank you very much for having me. And next to Julius, we've got Kevin Jackson, Vice President of George P. Johnson EMEA and President of the International Special Event Society. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Hello, good to be here. Both of the gentlemen sat at the Talking Events table this morning um, have been responsible for putting together um, a new book that's available uh, via the eventmanagerblog.com um, called Engaging Events. Um, let's talk a, a bit about the book and let, let's talk, first of all, what do we mean by engagement? It's a word that's been used now for several years in the industry. What is it in its most basic sense? Well, the, the objective objective of the book was to to sort of crack the code of this this sort of uh, overused buzzword that's engagement, and you know, uh, with uh, witnessing the growth of of technology supporting engagement as well, the sort of confusion has grown exponentially. And uh, you know, my uh, objective with the book was to sort of set the um, set everything clear in the mind of event professionals in terms of the, whenever they wanted to to um, start an engagement program. So I said to myself, we have to start from the basics and we have to really define what engagement means. And that's why I reached out to Kevin and uh, I wanted him, who better than him, to, to explain what, what we mean by that. And, and so I'll pass it over to him because that's what happens in the book, actually. <laughs> well, as you do that, Kevin, as we pass over to you, let, yeah. let, me, let me read a little bit just from your, your opening couple of paragraphs in the book. Um, and th- this says, when I think of engagement at events, I picture the lean forward moment where the audience are grabbed by something or someone that literally pulls them forward. I suppose the question is, how does one get to that moment? This must be a question that you ask every day at work, surely? It is. And it's a question we, we answer every day. And I think, uh, as it says later on in that piece, so we've all been at events when we've been grabbed by something. And you can, see the, you can literally see the audience lean forward. Uh, but I think the thing is about engagement, it's different for every audience and it's different for every event. The thing that grabs one audience won't be the thing that grabs another audience. So what I say later on in the piece is you have to start with the audience. Like all good relationships, it's never about you. It's always about them. So what we are looking at is what is the audience, who are they, and what, what are they really interested in? And then we build the program from there. And specifically, does the book reference or look at a certain type of event, or is it meant to encompass all types of events because events are very very broad by mm-hmm. their very de- you know definition there is a broad spectrum here is there something in there for everybody absolutely i mean whatever we do at event manager blog is for events is not for 
is not meeting manager blog, is not convention manager blog. So we talk about events in, in general, and we like to keep it general because uh, we like to talk about festivals as well as conventions. Now, um, expanding on that, um, the, the concept that technology is bringing along is defining engagement you know, into more tangible ways, you know, that's becoming sort of horizontal interaction between attendees. It's becoming vertical interaction with the speaker. It's, it's meaning participation for a lot of people. It's meaning um, uh, emo emotional um, sort of uh, connectivity with what's being said or presented or shown. So uh, that's what technology is kind of mm. helping to define even better for the industry because all the technology that's been created in the past uh, two years. I mean, we have an interesting stat that was published with uh, the ebook. 33% of the technology created in the past two years is actually related to live interaction and engagement. So that's an impressive number. Um, if you look at <clears throat> all the type of startups create, uh, created to, uh, for, for um, the event industry. So um, what they do is really, um, they want to, to bring down any type of boundary uh, between the performers and the audience and between the organizers and the planners and the audience and all the stakeholders, sometimes the sponsors and the audience. So it's about, it's about making these entities and these stakeholders uh, we've been hearing from um, elementary school as, as far as um, event education is concerned. Um, interact with each other so they can create those experiences we've called um, sort of uh, contaminated experiences where everybody's participating and there's a, there's a sort of a, sort of an overwhelming feeling of of, uh, of an event that sort of embraces you. Um, Kevin, um, I saw you nodding when Julius was talking about technology and mm. how that has evolved and help, mm. helped engagement. Yep. Um, where do you stand on that? Has it actually had a negative effect on some organisers in that it's confused how they engage in events? No, I don't think it's had any negative effect on anyone. I think what's happening with event technology is we're getting to a place where we've started talking about data-driven event marketing, where we can use the technology and the data we're, we're mining through the event to change the event and make it more engaging as the event is live. On a, on a basic level, you could say it's Twitter. It's um, emotions behind Twitter. This is good or this is bad. You could change the program. But now with the technology that's available, we can poll emotions. We can poll CEOs. We can take uh, information around speakers, around entertainers, and change the agenda of the event, whether it's a written agenda or a, you know, a free-flowing event, doesn't matter. You can change the event uh, agenda of the event depending on what the audience is reacting to and what the audience is liking. That is the ultimate engagement. We're liking this, we want to see more of it. We don't like that, we, we want to see less of it. There's engagement right there, using technology. And, and as you point out, great to be able to do that during the event and, yep. and, and to be able to react in real time, mm -hmm. as it were. But at the start of the podcast, you talked about knowing what your audience yep. is interested in. Yep. So before we even talk about engagement at the event itself, what, what should organisers be doing in terms of research? How do they find out and decide upon the appropriate engagement processes to deploy at their event? How do they conduct that research? Well, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> what we've done in the actual report is we've um, sort of 
broke down all the types of technology that are um, growing really fast. And we actually um, break it down in terms of before, during, and after the event, because a lot of the uh, tools available right now can actually help um, to uh, understand more about the audience even before we start. Obviously, um, Kevin reference to social media, of course, that's, that's a great way to, to get the conversation started. But there are a lot of tools that, that can be used before the actual, actually the, the event even starts. And obviously what we've seen, um, and the reason why I guess we were motivated to come up with this report is that there's an evolution also in, in uh, event mobile apps, and mobile apps has been traditionally linked to engagement as well. But we've seen a lot of mobile apps that started as show guides and as sort of a way to, to, to quickly consult the program while you were at events to actually become full-fledged um, um, interaction tools. And um, they are becoming effectively the sort of uh, interaction tool and engagement tool right before the event starts, where you can start already sort of learning about the speakers, talking in the back channel. Obviously, you can do that on social media publicly as well, but sometimes you want that private aspect as well, that more sort of comfortable feeling of being with the actual people that will attend. So, Kevin, how, how do we strike the balance, though? Because you, you talk about the lean forward moment, yep. and that surely must come from, let, let's take the example of a conference yep. and, and a seminar theatre and a group of people who've come there to learn something yep. from an informative speaker. And when that speaker strikes up with their session and everybody leans forward, how do we strike the balance between maintaining that lean forward into the person on a face-to-face level and developing that engagement via things like event apps? Yep. So I, I think there's a number of things. The, that answer isn't, isn't simple. There's a number of things. So if you're just passing on information, there's no reason for a live event. Everyone's online all the time. You can send them an email. You can send them a, get them to listen to a podcast. You don't need a live event. What you want a live event for is to engage people emotionally. That's the power of live events. It's the emotional engagement. So you've got to do something that is going to tweak, arouse, create emotional linkage between the thing that you're doing and the audience that you're presenting to. So in any conference, you need to know who the audience is, what they like, what they don't like, what turns them on, what turns them off. And we have a very simple process at GPJ to get to that um, position, which is our, what do we want the audience to feel? Emotions. What do we want the audience to think? What do we want the audience to know? Facts, three facts. And what do we want the audience to do as a result of doing the thing we're going to do to them? Once we've got do and actions, everything else falls into line. The technology used is all around serving the main objective. So when we start off with, we think, how are we going to engage emotions? What is the emotional lean forward moment? How are we going to do that for this particular audience? It doesn't matter if it's C-suite or employees or you know, people from the street. What we need to understand is who they are and what is going to engage them emotionally. And of course, there's a spectrum of things you can do. And what you have to do in all of those, whether it's entertainment, uh, speakers, uh, a band, an act... You need, you need a comedian. You need somehow to create the linkage between you and the audience emotionally. And once you've got that, the information flow, the connectivity, then you engage with um, social media. I mean, if you look at all of the audience that we engage with, 
look at a, a C-suite, you know, an executive audience. They're the people who spend their day telling people what to do, deciding the strategy of the company, deciding the direction of the company. We sit them in a room and we talk at them. That's not engaging for them. They're not sit-on-their-hands type people. They're get-involved type people. So they need a device that's going to allow them to participate and almost direct what's going on on the platform. No one want, you, They don't want to be sit and talk to. They want to, they want to have at their moment where they can contribute to the direction of that event. So how are you going to do that? And it's the same for every single audience. It doesn't matter who they are or what they are. You can find a thing that is going to get them leaning forward. But first, you have to understand who and what they are. One, one interesting fact, if I can add to that, sure. about engagement and, and technology tools um, to, to stimulate live interaction. I was walking um, in Carnaby Street this morning, this morning in London and um, you know, I was looking at teenagers and all dressed like we used to dress in the 90s, right? So it's, it's not something new. Uh, it's, it's sort of a parallel that I can do with the technology because you know, ARS uh, has been around forever. It's one of probably one of the first technologies that's been used in during live events and live television as well. So in terms of, you know, bulky tools that um, could help you to, to give your opinion about something. So, and the let's just clarify ARS <clears throat> uh, audience response system. So, okay. what uh, what we are the the great thing about that is that there is a great wealth of research that supports the use of these tools during. Um, and within an education environment, but also within sort of uh, more sort of entertainment related environments. And what we've analyzed is like five major benefits uh, that, that are science backed and that support the use of technology during during uh, live sessions. So you were making an example of a conference actually using um, technology tools can um, engage better the attendees. So there's actual research that says, you know, people are more emotionally connected if you do so. Um, it would help them to come back to your event because they, as a result of their emo emotional connection um, and um, helps the marketing as well to a certain extent because you're kind of involving them in the decision-making process and that's linked to uh, increased satisfaction levels and um, uh, repeated attendance spot patterns. So those are great science-backed points that can justify the use of a tool. Now. I'm not a fan of going out and, and do shopping in terms of technology. There always needs to be a reason why we choose particular tools. So if there's no value proposition, if we're not adding value to our objective of, you know, engaging with the C-level uh, suite and, and get them to connect uh, with our presenters, if the tool that we select doesn't help in that purpose, we shouldn't use it. We should use pen and paper, which is much better. Um, so yeah, that's my point. And I think the thing is, on top of that, you know, just the effort to communicate with those people. We think when we've got those people in, in, a, in a conference room that we're going to pack the agenda, we're going to run speaker after speaker. No one can listen like that. We don't listen like that now. We've got second and third screen watching at home while we're tweeting and Facebooking while we're watching. Why is the audience any different? They're not. They can't concentrate for hours on end. You know, break them after 11 minutes. Don't have the finance director talking charts. You know, you've, if you're always looking from the audience perspective, what are they going to find interesting? Then there are certain things that you don't want to do because it's not going to be good for the audience. Yes, you have to cover those subjects, but you can find a more interesting and engaging way to do it. 
Well, l- let's let's bring in another element of the book, and this is actually one of the opening uh, elements of, of the book that you wrote, Julius. Um, and it talks about expectations of a particular type of event, and it says it, it references a conference again, mm-hmm. and it highlights the fact that if you're going to a conference, you pretty not, pretty much know what to expect. Yeah. Registration, session, lunch, session, special event, networking. That's it. You go on to say that's what we expect. Speakers and attendees are the only variables. Good speakers and attendees will probably result in a better event and vice versa. But we know so much about events before attending that impressing us is becoming an impossible challenge. Is it an impossible challenge, Kevin? Or is this something that because by, by accepting the fact that we're perhaps stuck in a bit of a rut and a format of doing things, that acceptance is the first stage to actually developing a better way of doing it. But And that's exactly right. So knowing what to expect from the uh, overall flow of the event is one, but actually knowing what you're going to expect when you get in the room, because there's a tacit agreement, no matter what the conference is, that you're going to start at one point, end at another point, but there's no real problem to solve. There's no real issue to discuss. And although some conferences discuss issues, they don't really, because everyone knows you're going to get to the end and everything's going to be tied up in a neat bow. What you need to do is build in some problems and build in some conflict. So um, I was working with some guys in um, Denmark uh, last year, and they ran a conference for a public utility. And the public utility had a massive uh, problem because it was, should we be unionized or should we not? And they had a company conference, thousands of people, and everyone went thinking, you know, the management are going to get up and do their thing and then we're going to agree and we're all going to move on and nothing's really going to be solved. We're just going to tacitly agree that this is the direction. But what they cleverly did was they followed a family. The dad was in the union. The son was not in the union. And over a week of filming this family, all of the issues that the room wanted to discuss were put out into the room. So it gave permission for everyone to raise their opinion, even though the CEO was on the stage, even though you know their futures could be um, in jeopardy. They really got behind all those issues and really aired their grievances in public. The clever thing was there was no family. There was no dad. There was no son. It was a couple of actors who were playing the part of a union rep and a son who didn't believe in the unions. So by following that drama through the event, Actually, what it did was it stimulated the conversation and made it possible for everyone to get all their issues out on the, out on the table that enabled them to solve a problem. And I think most conferences start with a, we're just going to give them information, everyone's going to go on with their lives. That's not engaging. And surely they're, they're actually missing the very definition of conference. Mm. What a conference actually means. It, it doesn't mean one person stood up in front and speaking to an audience of hundreds, does it? But it's become like that because we're all under pressure of time, we're all under pressure of budget, let's get them in the room, let's present because we have to, let's talk about this, let's talk about that. That's not what a conference is for. What we've got to do is redefine what a conference is for to make them more engaging, to make them discuss issues, to make them solve problems. You know, we are problem-solving beings, that's what we do. We, we confront those things every day. Well, well, let's push on with that point by reading something from avinteractive.com. Um, and this is something from their website. Top-down communication is out. Sharing and engagement are in. That's the awkward message just reaching the flourishing events market. So there's plenty of repositioning for both clients and suppliers to undertake. 
Event organizers used to spend considerable time and effort reminding audiences to turn their mobile phones off during the sessions. Now they spend this time and effort asking the audiences to leave their phones and tablets on, download the event app and their hardware to comment on the proceedings. So it's, it's a complete shift, isn't it, really? Yep. For, even from 10 years ago, in a decade, we've gone from telling people to sit there silently and turn everything off and pay attention to actually moving them in the opposite direction. I'm always kind of cautious when we, when we talk about shift because, I mean, we have to frame that in the best possible way. And, you know, that, that sort of uh, schedule, like the, the opening session, the break, and then the session, you know, that's the real reason why I started to write about events because I was upset about you know the usual things all over again and uh, you know a lot of new models came in a lot of new ways to do conferences you know we've seen the unconferences we've seen the bar camps we've seen a lot of new ways of uh, the fish bowls but I mean it's great uh, but you know we like Christmas because there's a Christmas tree uh, you know with presents uh, we don't want to see a, a huge pineapple with a star on top <laughs> because it's not going to be Christmas anymore you know <laughs> so to a certain extent we feel comfortable with a little bit of yeah. you know having the boundaries we to, are creatures of habit yeah, yeah because you know we, we we're used used to that and it's not necessarily all bad you know it can be good but we need to um, 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 respect the way we learn so Kevin was making a point about you know keep them there for 11 minutes and then pass to something else because you know we have to respect the fact we learn in a certain way now we've been as event people as event professional I think we're, we're too nice of a category we try to be nice with everyone so we've been trying to please sponsors speakers almost everyone we work with and we forgot about the very first recipient of our efforts was the attendee we have to respect the way they learn the way they interact to each other if technology can help to shape that in a better way we can still have the same format but when once we get to the session it's going to be so cool that I'm going to remember about it. I'm yeah. going to talk about it after the event is over. I'm going to be so engaged with the speakers and all the performers and my fellow attendees that it's going to be this, the only thing I can talk about when I get back home. So that's, that's a good reason enough to, to attend events. And that's, that's what we have to aim for. Uh, convincing people to take phones on or convincing people to do things outside of their comfort zone. If they are not doing it by themselves, uh, why should we force people to do that? So there always needs to be a why, why we're, yeah. we're asking. So that's, that's my point. There's no universal nature. There's no things that times are changing. There is more like we're aware of what is happening and this is how we're empowering it by delivering value. That's what I think. And being aware of what is happening and, and, and changing people's attitudes, Kevin. Mm. A, a, as an organizer, have you seen a change in people's attention spans to the point where... You, you were mentioning shortening sessions, yep. giving people the opportunity to break out and relax. People are engaged constantly, not just in your event, but with their, their day-to-day yep. lives and their day-to-day jobs. Um, have you seen, as an organiser, a shift in people's attention spans? And is that what prompted it? Was it a reactive process or was it an evolutionary process? I think it's all an evolutionary process. So to go back to the other point about top-down has gone, mm. it's gone anyway. That's not how companies run anymore. So... The CEO standing up telling people the way of the world, it doesn't work like that because the 20-year-old guy or the 20-year-old girl in the audience is going to say, do you know what? I don't agree with that. They're not frightened of saying they don't agree. So within companies, we're accepting that there's a new way, that we're more diverse and we're more democratic and we need to bring people with us in order to achieve our corporate objectives. 
We still haven't caught up exactly in the conference and event world. We're still a bit dictatorial. Mm -hmm. And whereas we accept what's going on corporately, we still haven't got there conferency event wise. So as Julia says, you know, things have moved on. I, I've been talking about this, I think, for about nine years. I, I did a, a speaking engagement nine years ago where I talked about the Globe Theatre, had a couple of rows at the back where you could blog from and you can tweet from. Nine years ago, the Globe Theatre. And I said, <laughs> look, if they can do it, we can all do it. Mm-hmm. Leave your phone on if that's what you want. You know, and giving, you, giving people the option to choose. Yeah. Is, is that what it's about? Is it about choice and, it is, and accepting that it is about everybody that. Has, has their different preferences now, how they choose to engage and giving people the option to do that? Probably they're going to kill me for saying this, but I think we live also in a, in a kind of a, we have a kind of a schizophrenic tendency to, to planning the events. Yeah. And that, that came out from the research, I mean, that we've done because with the, the, the first bits of the ebooks are actually come from a, a research that we've done with a thousand people responding. So quite a, a substantial sample from all over the world. And, um, you know, they said that 80% of them basically said that they're happy with the speakers. Yeah. And 80% of them um, said that they, the attendees either want more interaction with the speakers or they don't know. So how can you put satisfaction with the speakers with attendees want more from the speakers? Yeah. So there's this, this kind of um, sort of um, uh, black hole of, of not knowing really uh, to begin with, what attendees want, and to say, okay, I've called like a great keynote, and I'm happy with my program because it's going to attract people, and you know we're happy about it because the keynote has performed at keynote level, but probably the attendees don't want that. So we have to kind of uh, start matching the needs with mm. what we we decide in terms of speakers and performers. And I suppose for us in the industry, it's about. Um, uh, settling for mediocrity you know I, I, another quote in the in the book James is that 54% of people yeah I've got it here 54% indicate a general level yeah. of satisfaction with Should... the level of engagement they achieve at their events yeah. it's general, yeah. general shouldn't it be 99% of people are excited and amazed at the level of attendance they uh, uh, engagement they've they've managed to achieve mm. And I think we've got to strive for amazing. We've got to strive for extraordinary. And I think what we've got to do is we've got to start, again, looking at the audience, working out what we, what we can do, what's going to excite them, and using the relevant technologies to support that cause. You know, it's always going to be about the audience. What if an, audi- what if an organiser doesn't have access to the relevant technologies? It's not but about perhaps through, 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 through budgetary constraints. So, and again, to, going back to, to talking about events on all different levels. Yeah. yeah. You know, small event organisers, you know, maybe organising a charity function, a fashion show, whatever it may be. How, how do we look at engagement in a non-technological Absolutely. sense? It's, it's uh, you know, we, we do an annual trend report. And one of the trends for 2015 was uh, bring it back offline and use offline tools to stimulate that engagement. We've looked at ways to, to use pen and paper to stimulate engagement, yep. to stick paper on the wall and get people to collaborate in a room environment. You know, It's learning. So you can use a, a tech tool that makes it probably faster and more convenient, or you can use 
you know, uh, pen, pen and paper, which are perfectly fine. Or you can use an engaging speaker that knows the power of horizontal interaction and get attendees to communicate with each other. You know, it's funny enough, um, um, I've read, uh, and you, the reason why we came up with this trend was because with uh, mobile apps and all the networking buzz that we have, pre-event networking I was mentioning as well, all this pre-event networking, geofencing, and, and Bluetooth interaction, and, and face recognition, and then we sit in the room and listen to a speaker, and we don't even connect with the person sitting Absolutely. next to us. Um, actually, what we have to strive is like making that connection within the room as well, and not relying necessarily on technology tools, which can just seem awkward sometimes, because I have to sort of approach someone, oh yeah, I see you on the app, I've checked you on LinkedIn instead of going and say hi yeah. or getting someone within the event to facilitate that meeting because that's our commitment as well. It's not just throwing people in the room. I think an event professional, you can tell a real event professional because wherever you're in the room with them, they connect you with everyone else. Absolutely. Simon Burton, my uh, great friend and colleague from Exposure, does a great thing when he hosts conferences. He talks about, you know, we've been brought up from an early age not to talk to strangers, not to talk to strangers, not to talk to strangers. And then every trade show you ever go to, someone pops out and says, can I talk to you? And of course, everyone says no. And we run and, away. And we run away. And Simon connects everyone in the room by starting them talking to each other. He gives them permission to talk to each other. And that's the start. You know, it's, it's a, it's a non-technology great way of engaging. And to Julius's point... You know, we do a thing in, in a room with post-it notes and there's nothing more exciting, there's no picture more dynamic than seeing thousands of post-it notes in different colours, in different groupings that people have put ideas on and created a, a dynamic event. It's, it doesn't need to be technology, but it does need to be engaging. Um, are speakers... Uh, and, and again, I'm referencing conferences, but this could be anything. This could be yeah, it's performers, a, a, a yeah. performers yeah. Wh whoever is up there, seek, yeah. uh, the organisers seeking to engage their audience. Are they grasping the fact that their sessions should include opportunities for engagement? And how hard are organisers working with their performers to, to, to push that message? So everyone who knows me is going to groan when they hear this. I'm speaking at 24 conferences this year, the biggest of which is in Austin, Texas, 9,000 people. Yeah. Um, but... In all of those things, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. I, no one's telling me, I mean, they're giving me guidelines and they're showing me what they want me to talk about, but it's really down to me. And what we don't do with speakers um, enough is audition them. Are they good speakers? They might know their stuff, but are they engaging? Are they going to be exciting? Have they got a performance? What is their content? Let's have a look at it. Mm -hmm. Let's work out what we can do as event professionals to aid that guy who isn't an event professional to make it more engaging, to create some interactivity, to create some moments of impact. You know, in every... You don't always need to be highly impactful and highly engaging because you can't live like that. The, you, know, you can't rush around on a, on a high forever. There has to be emotional highs and lows during the course of the event and during the course of every presentation. So let's work out what those are and how we create those moments of impact and then how we land that, how we get the audience to understand what we've just talked about, how we capture that so they can do something about it, and then how we go again. Yeah, that's engaging. I believe it's it's also about like the modern event planner and the modern speaker because it's it's a uh, you know I, whenever I write about this relationship I get 
thousands of angry comments, you know, <laughs> from event planners saying, no, but it's the speaker's fault. And then speakers saying, yeah, but it's the event planner's fault. So it's, it's a very complex relationship, but it's both of, of both ends need to kind of modernize themselves. So, I mean, what I expect from an event planner is a brief on, are we going to use the mobile app for the Q&A? Or do I need to bring my own tool? Is the Wi-Fi working in the room? What's the um, uh, the aspect aspect uh, ratio of the screen I'm going to use? You know, all these questions is something that I ask as a speaker. Obviously, because I have a, a tendency of use technology. But yeah, modern speakers do use engagement tools. If you know the 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 offline modern speaker is someone that connects the room immediately. They don't use any technology. Probably they don't even have a presentation. They, they just show up in the room and start connecting people offline. Uh, but that's the kind of modern speaker, someone that gets that it's not about showing up and being a, a diva or whatever and, and just delivers something that is valuable for the attendees that showed up and paid the price to be there. The event planner, the professional event planner, modern event planner, make sure that the speakers are enabled to do that. They, they empower speakers to, um, to create connections through technology or offline. Is the fact that 54% of organizers indicate a general level of satisfaction indicative of the fact that they don't spend enough time working with their performers beforehand to develop the content are they are they putting too much of a reliance just to book somebody yeah we've got a great speaker here have you ever seen this presentation no that could be a good <laughs> that could be a good reason why but you know the the most uh sort of the the stat from the from the report that sort of clears everything is the 90 percent of, of of event professional actually see engagement as priority for 2015. Yeah. so it's kind of you know even if they say they're happy afterwards i don't care anymore because 90 percent of you are saying this is my priority and that to me means whatever i've tried before yeah i can be fairly happy with but i need to improve by you know selecting the speakers better by selecting the technology better by thinking more about the concept that i'm throwing together if it's innovative enough if it's engaging people enough so you know they, they see it everybody sees it you know we, we all attend conferences or events where we we go out and we say hmm, you know not really it wasn't really cool and i spend a lot of money and time to be there so but before we move on, I just want to clarify a couple of points here because we've referenced some of these statistics uh, and we've, we've quoted a few of them during, during today's podcast. Um, let's just look at exactly where these statistics and how these statistics have been sourced. Mm-hmm. Who, who, do we, who do we survey to, to, to get these? Uh, the statistics are present in the report. It's a, it's a, it's a questionnaire that we've uh, done to our uh, community, which is a community of, on LinkedIn of 270,000 event planners. We've got 1,000 respondents. We tried to qualify them in terms of people planning events, actually. So we disqualified anyone um, not planning events um, and suppliers, obviously, as well. Um, so we, we um, have um, sort of an indication of, you know, a sample size that is a thousand respondents that actually were qualified and finished the actual questionnaire. And this is a, 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 a global community it as well? Is this global, is not just in a refined it area? Is, it is a global community. So there's people obviously mainly in the US and English-speaking languages um, country, but um, you know from all over the world. And, and sort of very diverse sample uh, planning events of different sizes in completely different industries. So yeah, once again, about events, not necessarily about conventions or trade shows excellent and, and, and i think it was important to, to, to qualify Absolutely. that yeah. and, and and let people who are listening know that you know 
this survey is very much you know a representation of, of the broad in the broadest yeah. of, of yeah. the industry and uh, all the uh, results are available in the in the report and, and they're they're freely available for consultation if they, they want to have a look but bringing things back to, to the to the content and the subject of today's podcast which is engagement um, one little thing that I often hear uh, people having a, a whinge about uh, exhibitors mm. people who go to either a trade show or a conference that has an, an exhibitor or an exhibition element to it and the level of engagement between attendees and the trade show exhibitors or consumer show exhibitors indeed yeah. now I think there's very much an argument that exhibitors need to do more and continually need to push harder to make sure that they're doing as much as they can to engage. But where do we stand on organisers developing the engagement and their own programme of activity to make sure exhibitors are satisfied? So what we do that's slightly different to what everyone else does, and and I completely take your point, James, that the exhibitor bit of, a, of an event is often the weakest part. Because the exhibitors are almost subsidizing the event they have to be there and there's no real thought as to how you fit them into the program what we do which is completely different is we go to the exhibitors and we brief them on what the event is doing what the theme is of the event and where we're trying to take the audience and what we've seen over the last three years that we've been doing that three five years that we've been doing that is the exhibitors have changed the exhibitors at our events, you know, the, the trade show part that's uh, at uh, our events, have now become an inherent part of the event, such that it's adding value to the audience. So you don't need to put the coffee stand in the middle of the exhibition, or you don't need to put the lunch in the middle of the exhibition to drive the audience into it. The audience are going there because they realise, unless they do that, they haven't got the, the full experience. And that's the difference for us between an event and experience. You know, we want to create a completely rounded brand experience and the exhibitors are part of that. So if we want to take them on the journey, we've got to tell them what the journey is. We've got to tell them where the start is and we've got to tell them where the finish is. And then they can, and of course, over the years, people come into it and they, they put 100% effort in and a few of them were in it from the start and saw some great results. And everyone around them thought, well, they're doing it differently. Why we should join into that? And now, as a group, you know they've got little presentation stands on their stand. They've got different ways of displaying. They they're adding value to the event rather than trying to sell the stuff they've yeah. got. You cannot sell to people you don't know. And to know people, you've got to have a relationship. To know people, you've got to add some value to their lives. And that's what the secret to exhibitors, trade show exhibitors at events is. I don't think I don't think there's a problem with exhibitors. I think there's a problem with exhibitions and trade shows. But it's not a problem necessarily. So it's a good evolution that they're having right now. Because obviously, as we were making the parallel with sourcing content online and, and sort of why should I attend a conference if I can find content online and just be there and and and, uh, and find whatever I want, you know, from my the the comfort of my home or my office? Why should I go to an event if there's no reason to connect? So the same thing is happening with trade shows even more so because why should I choose to buy something based on attending 
whatever, a very noisy place where some salespeople are going to shout at me and try to convince me to buy their product that is going to be freaking expensive for us. So, you know, while I can stay at my home and compare and search and find a lot of background information why, I don't know, a guidebook is better than Double Dutch or vice versa. Sorry if I make the, the, the sort of connection here, but it's, it's, it's that, right? Why should I trust, you know, someone that is obviously there to sell? Um, as opposed to do my research online. So obviously, you know, there's a reason to be there. There's a reason to connect face-to-face -face with a brand and learn more about that. But it's not the traditional reason why we attend the trade shows for. Because, you know, we used to attend trade shows because there was no other way to get in touch with yep. these brands and then actually learn about the new cool things with content marketing and all the commitment that brands are doing online. You know, the, the, the lead funnels are completely changing. And, and so trade shows have to change as a result. That's why we've seen... Uh, models such as you know the what, what we call the confibition, so where there's a, a st strong element of content with the exhibition, and content and the exhibitors are sort of mingled together, and then you know big content announcements are made during exhibitions. Exhibitors really strive to deliver value uh, through their participation in the event because what you know, exhibitions are becoming, they're becoming the opportunity for brands to actually show the commitment they have for their customers, not just to show up and show off, but to really yeah. um, help that conversation. So I talk about sales all the time, and I talk about sales in context of exhibitions because we do lots of them. And the stat I love about sales is 80% of salespeople never follow up a call. So of all the connections you make at a, a trade show, 80% of those people say hello and they never go back to them. But 64% of buyers only buy between the fifth and the twelfth engagement. Now what that's saying to me is, one, you've got to try harder. And two, five to twelve is a relationship. You can't keep saying, I've got this product, it's this price. I've got this product, it's this price. Have you seen our brochure? Five to twelve is, you need to add value. You need to find a way of understanding what they're looking for and you need to find a way of your product or service or company adding value to their lives because you've got to have at least five or 12 contacts. That's a relationship. And you can't do that shouting at people from a, you know, the aisle of a trade Absolutely. show. Absolutely. I'm following the, sorry for interrupt, but following this train of thought, which is so relevant. You know, if we think about this multi-channel sort of touch point based experience with brands, face-to-face -face is going to be probably the most important encounter we have with the brand because it's going to be the feely touchy feely one you know i've witnessed you know the rise of the, the the rise of virtual events and everybody was so concerned it's not going to happen anymore all of a sudden you know events are the monetization of the music industry because yep. you know they don't have any other way to monetize so we know that you know events and face-to-face with all that tension building up online of encountering people and meeting people online. So we know each other. We feel the, the need to meet at Absolutely. some stage. So that encounter there is becoming so important in that sort of, uh, uh, sort of multi-touch uh, sort of experience, multi-channel experience that we can't spoil it to really go there and sell it. That's the, the, the experience is the marketing. I've been saying that for 10 years. The experience is the marketing. There's nothing else. And if you look at the way advertising is going, some of them advertising is even filming experiences and putting those out there because they know the emotional connection. The world has changed. We're not looking for awareness. We're looking for relationships. Brands want relationships with their audiences. It doesn't matter what brand you are and what audience you've got. You need a relationship. That's how you sell. 
which which essentially means that, that, that when we're talking about engagement, does uh, and I'm going to ask this question: Does engagement equal success? Just because you've engaged them at the event doesn't mean it's a successful event. But if we're talking about building relationships, yep. what we're essentially then saying is that we're not just engaging them before and during the event, but we need to be engaging them on an ongoing basis. Absolutely, and that's that's for organisers to to take to any event. But I think that's the the future of the experiences. The experience is the marketing. And to do that, you have to have a pre, during, and post. You need to have campaignable thinking that isn't just the theme of the event. It's a communication platform. You know, we're lucky in the event industry. We own our own media. We are Richard Murdoch. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. Not Richard Murdoch. He was a comedian. We're Rupert Murdoch. We create our communication channel so we're both channel and content so we build our events and that gives us a power because we're connected to our audience we can see them coming in we can see them going out we know what they experience then we fill that vessel with content that is or isn't engaging but then we've got to do something with them so we've got to create better channels we've got to create better more engaging content and then we've got to do something with that engagement so that we can keep the relationship going, so that there's a business benefit, whatever that business benefit is. Would it be fair to say then that even if you successfully engage during the event, if you pay no attention to what happens afterwards, you can't ultimately say it's a success? Absolutely. We cannot think about events these days as what they used to be in the past. You know, I always make the example of, you know, that, that sort of, uh, if you think about the, the hockey stick that events used to be in the past, where the tension, if you think about plotting the tension in a graph, used to sort of build up and then boom, the spike during the event and then down after the event was over. What social media and you know, technology is bringing along is that concept of, of what I call the continuous community. It's Absolutely. the community that goes on for the whole year. And, and you know, there's going to be little spikes from time to time whenever you get to meet other attendees of the same event around the world in other events, for example, or the same performers in other events. Or you connect with the brand online on Twitter, or you read an article on a blog for the event site. So there's going to be multiple touch points, and they're going to increase. It's going to make your work your work more difficult. There's no there's no way around it. It's not going to be easy. But what you end up with, and what most successful events do, they create a community that Absolutely. sells tickets. Yep. You know, we've seen it for for uh, festivals recently, right? One hour, hundred eighty thousand tickets gone so you know that's what a continuous community creates um and and thinking about the objectives of an event why do we attend usually three reasons entertainment networking education we can think about a lot of other objectives but at the end of the day it comes to these three engagement is a level is the level that tells me that i'm achieving that objective with my attendee how am i achieving it are they really engaged to learn are they really engaged to be entertained or to network am i delivering that is the measure that tells me if i'm doing well or not the book engaging events is available from the event manager blog eventmanagerblog.com um it's author julius solaris has been joining talking events today julius thank you very much for joining us contributor to uh, engaging events kevin jackson has also joined us today kevin thank you very much for your contributions today and within the book pleasure thank you visit the website and uh, and download it it's a free download um i think in terms of looking at uh marketing which is something that you mentioned kevin um and, and how events are marketed and looking at the, the vertical streams that's perhaps a, a subject for another podcast if anybody has got an opinion on 
today's podcast um, their own opinions on engagement, how they do it, what their thoughts are. Is it just a buzzword? Um, get in touch. At Talking Events is the dedicated Twitter handle. Don't forget that you can also watch a video of this particular podcast downloadable from the Event Industry News website and viewable on the Event Industry News YouTube channel. Thanks for joining us. This is Talking Events.